Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, är så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson. Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are kind of sad because we both lost our cupful matchups, even though we had the third highest score in the whole league. I guess that's head-to-head for you, right? I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, super excited for the first regular season episode of Keeping Carlson. And of course, with me is the fantasy hockey robot, the Poop Bob prognostication, the IVP MVP, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Yes, it was a tough, brutal first week for you and I as we both had really fantastic scores, but that just shows how competitive the cupful KKUPFL.com can be when, uh, yeah, Elon and I are both losers in our first week matchups. But look out to our week two opponents. We are coming in hard with all the knowledge that we're about to share on this episode. Yeah, every single week, We are giving you our special notes, our special tidbits, all the research we do so that you and we can win our weeks together. So let's go win a week with everything we're about to share on this episode. All right, let's do it. Of course, another source that's helping you out is DauberHockey.com, the number one source for fantasy hockey in the world as well. So yeah, check out Dauber Hockey for their articles every day. They'll keep you up to date with the latest of what's going on. I love the daily ramblings. Just to get caught up on every day. You know, we're going to have a podcast a couple times a week called Short Shifts, if you're new here, to also break down some things going on during the week. So yeah, you're covered. You got Keeping Carlson, you got Dauber Hockey, you are set. But Brian, let's get going with today's episode. I figured we could just start the show. Here's the plan for the show, okay? I'm just going to set the table here. We're going to go over some of the top scorers in the league right now, the people who really performed like crazy throughout the week then we're going to talk about an injury and then we're going to end with a bunch of players that people are panicking about and wondering if they should drop or not so that is the menu for today's show but yeah i want to start with the top seven leading scorers in the nhl after week one and who would have guessed this number one in the league with seven points in only two games is andre kopitar oh my god he had three goals and two assists versus vegas in the 6-2 win then a goal and an assist versus minnesota on saturday in the 3-2 loss for the kings kopi 10 shots in the two games that's not the kopitar i know I thought he's like a solid points guy. He's going to get you a bunch of assists, but don't bank on him for goals and shots. I guess uh, this year things are a little different, right? Where is this coming from? Last year, he had a 73-point pace, same as the year before. He's setting himself up nicely now to bump up to point per game this season. Even if, you know, he plays at 73-point pace the rest of the way, he's now given himself such a big buffer that I'm looking at 80-plus point Kopitar. And if he could keep this up, who knows? I don't know, Brian, is it like getting Arvidsson uh, over Ayafalo as his winger? Is that what's making the difference? Or is it obviously just a small sample size? I guess that could probably be the answer as well. But wow, what a start for Kopitar. Oh, and by the way, and for Drew Doughty, right? Also a huge start. Six points in the two games. So obviously they're both helping each other. What's going on over in L.A.? A lot is going on over in L.A. and all across the league, of course. So through this episode, I think a theme is going to be all players' box scores and and numbers so far are kind of like this early season Rorschach test where we're all going to read into them however we want to read into them. And and I I feel like people and their biases, you know, you're going to see what you want to see. So we're going to do our best to sort of cut through that and see clearly about, about what trends are saying. And I think that's going to set us up 
for a lot of these players who are having these big or very extremely little performances over the first week, the main message is going to be like, hold on, we're not changing anything based on a couple of games, but it is really good to at least take note of these performances like Anze Kopitar. I'm like, yeah, this is different. Anze Kopitar with all these shots on goal, 10 shots in the two games, he was a three shot per game guy for the first four or five years of his career. But since then, he's really settled around the two shot per game range. So the shots are crazy. And how about those points? By the way, did you know Kopitar, he set the franchise record for the LA Kings with five points in a season opener, beating other storied LA Kings. Uh, You might have heard of them. Wayne Gretzky and Luke Robitaille each had four points in a season opener, as well as uh, a guy I think LA Kings fans know named Charlie Simmer, but I'm not that personally familiar with him. And Kopitar actually got those five points in just 18 minutes of ice time too, which was really interesting to me, actually. That was like a five-point night, woohoo, and I'm busy looking at his ice time just to see, because there's a lot of change in LA. Of course, uh, the Kings have a second-line center in Phil Dano that they can really trust to be a solid two-way player, and they haven't had that behind Kopitar for a long time. So I was watching... Sure enough, Kopitar played 22 minutes in the second game of the season. Uh, that was probably due, though, to having five or more minutes, uh, more than five minutes of power play time as part of that. So just keep an eye on Kopitar's ice time. I'm not sure if it's going to hold steady or decrease a little bit now that he's at age 34 and there's a little more support in the rest of the lineup. But the bottom line here is uh, just this is a moment to celebrate Anze Kopitar and how awesome he is. 14-year career. Kopitar has paced for 70 or more points in 10 of those 14 years, 66 or more points in 12 of those 14 years. So Elon, you're asking, where is this coming from? I think this big production, it's coming from the same place it always has, just as like pure talent and skill. And I like, of course, it's a it's a crazy output for a couple games, and we're not going to expect Kopitar to keep up this 287 point pace for full over a full 82 games Um, but we just at least take a moment to recognize that Kopitar has been a 73 point player the last two years and uh, it's really great that he has a super hot start but that's still about where I'd have him uh, to be even a point per game player for Kopitar I think that would be a big ask there's a better team around him which is good, but I also expect that to mean that Kopitar has less ice time. So you wash that out, and I think you're still expecting Kopitar to be about a 70, 75-point player. And at age 34, uh, like that's not supposed to sound bad. That's amazing. So let's be happy and grateful while we get to watch Kopitar keep doing his thing. And a lot of the Kings do their thing. I, I think, Elon, one of the teams you've been most excited about preseason has been San Jose, but one of the teams I've been most excited about has been LA, and I'm not about to do a victory lap about that now, because uh, who knows what the next 80 games are going to bring. But this is an exciting year for the Kings, where they have a lot going on, a lot of newness, where there wasn't a lot of newness for a while, a lot of prospects uh, ready to take the next step, whether it's a big step or a little step, there's a lot happening across that depth chart. So uh, it's a fun team that we're going to get to watch through the whole year. And you also asked about Drew Doughty. Uh, My answer is the same about him as it was about Kopitar. It's like, great start for Doughty. However, I would still have uh, Doughty at about the same 45, 50-point pace, maybe 50-point pace through the season for Doughty, I I don't think the team has gotten any more crazy offensive or anything. They just had a a really great first couple games, which is lovely, but is not changing, moving the needle much on what I projected for them before the season began. 
Yeah, that's right. We're not going to read too much into two games, but really cool to see because they do have some changes, right? Victor Arvidsson is on the team. He's a goal scorer, potential 30-goal scorer. They also have this new guy, Vladimir Tkachev, who's been on the top power play with Kopitar, Brown, Arvidsson, and Drew Doughty playing in the bottom six with Velarde at even strength, but still he had two power play assists in that game versus Vegas. That's another guy that I guess is new and helping out. Brian, for those people who didn't listen to our mock draft episode where you hemmed and hawed over which LA King to pick back on that show, uh, people may not know who this Tkachev is. So Brian, catch us up. Who is this guy? Is he someone that people should have on their radars in deeper leagues yes we had this team draft keeping carlson.com slash team draft if you want to see the results where uh, we picked one player from each team but they had to be picked in order so each round was a new team and someone got first pick on that team so they took kopitar and then uh the the draft would continue so second pick from la third pick from la i had the fourth pick from la and i ended up going with dustin brown which i don't feel bad about now but i i did before because I just wasn't sure exactly if he was going to stay on the top line or top power play with Kopitar with all the movement happening in LA. But so far, he's in a great spot and doing well. Uh, But I was thinking about uh, this Vladimir Kachev fellow who, uh, yeah, he's come from the KHL, 26 years old, undrafted. He's a tiny guy, 5'10", 170 pounds. But he put up 80 points in his last 100 games in the KHL with St. Petersburg Ska. And uh, that's a nice little pedigree to be bringing over. It's not the same like Panarin or Kaprizov type pedigree. And he's not being asked to play such an integral role with the Kings as those guys were when they first came over to North America. But Kachev is off to a really nice start. Just keep in mind, he's an assist-heavy player. So he has two power play assists through the first couple games, playing 15 minutes a night on the top power play, but no shots on goal. So this is a guy who's going to be actually a little bit like, say, Gabe Velarde, who was another LA Kings streamer last season, who wasn't always on the top power play like Kachev has so far been, but someone who's like, yeah, maybe he's going to get you an assist, but it's unlikely he's going to take very many shots or score a goal. So that's what you're looking at with Kachev. If you would like a little assist bonus or power play point bonus, he's a decent stream to take a shot on. All right. So, okay, that's the number one scorer in the league, Kopitar. Number three is Drew Doughty, so we've discussed. But number two is another guy who, like, he's been amazing in the league forever, but I didn't expect him to start this hard. And that's Steven Stamkos with seven points in his first three games. Stammer starts the season with three multi-point games in a row versus Pittsburgh, Detroit, and then Washington. He had three power play points in the 7-6 win over Detroit. The rest of his points, though, have all been at even strength, playing with Killorn and Sorelli. Not a spot where we expect someone to be able to really have a huge offensive outburst. Brian, we've come a long way from people panicking over Stamkos online three at times during the preseason for the preseason at one point he was playing with uh cory perry and ross colton but then we saw in the last preseason games they went back to what we expected stamkos on that second line uh he was below a point per game last season for the first time in years and i kind of figured it'd be unlikely for him to be able to improve on that considering last year he was playing with Braden point as a center now he was going to this more defensive line with sorelli uh did i get something wrong in my calculation here because stamkos has come out on fire I'm not sure what you were calculating. I, I had high hopes for Stamkos coming into this season. I thought there's still that 90-point upside. And maybe the calculation, Elon, where you went wrong is that we're actually seeing Stamkos raise Kalorn and Sorelli up more than being brought down by losing point to play with. Last season, for sure, didn't look awesome for Stamkos. He had a hard time producing it five on five, but there was like low variance, these red flags that he was getting the the raw end of the deal here. all over the place. He had relatively low numbers in his shooting percentage, on ice shooting percentage, and his IPP at five on five. That's his points participation rate. 
uh, in our preseason discussions, like I said, I, I think like I think his upside is 90 points. He had four consecutive 90 plus point years before last season's disappointing 73 point pace, which again was likely underpinned by some unlucky variants. So I'm not surprised to see Steven Stamkos come out swinging even without Braden Point. He's still an elite player in his own right. Uh, do I think he's actually going to get up to 90? No, I think it's more likely Stamkos lands around a point per game. And of course, he's still an injury concern. And let's also watch Stamkos' time on ice. It's been lower uh, to start the season than it has been in any of the last few seasons. But it's, it's too early to read too deeply into that. But again, this is something, especially with a guy who's older and with injury history, the same way we're looking at Kopitar in his age 34 season, what kind of role are these guys being asked to play as they get older and perhaps a little more fragile? So keep an eye on that because that will, of course, limit whatever upside Stamkos could have. Yeah, so we'll see. We're going to get to another older player in just a bit who's also doing amazing. But first, let's go to a younger player and a superstar in the league. Connor McDavid slots in at number four here. Five points in his two games. Don't forget that Stamkos is seven points in three games. So McDavid already pacing higher than him after his hat trick yesterday versus Calgary, along with eight shots on goal, which sealed my fate versus Jeremy again in the couple. I lost by 0.3 points. If maybe Tyson Berry had assisted on one of those Connor McDavid goals over these last couple of games, I wouldn't be in this situation. But hey, we'll talk about in just a sec, but yeah, McDavid, amazing. Uh, and he's been playing on the top line with Drysaddle and Puliarvi, so that's held. Uh, you know, going into the preseason, we expected Drysaddle and McDavid to be split like they were most of last year, but so far, no, which has been great for Puliarvi, right? Because he has four points in two games, uh, looking like a steal at this point. He was going late in most drafts uh, this morning, Sunday morning when I was prepping the show. He was only 53% rostered on Yahoo. I think he's a must roster in all formats right now while he's on this line with Drysaddle and McDavid. Uh, so I think anyone listening to this that has Puliarvi, he's a free agent pause the podcast right now and figure out a way to get him on your team right he's definitely a pause the podcast kind of guy open the app or go to your debt like go get him do whatever steps are required for you to go ahead and get jesse pulley right now this is what we said going into the season right i had shared that i didn't get him before others did Uh, you know he he was a late late round target for me this year and I missed him uh, just by a little bit every single time. And so uh, as, as sad as I am to say I, that was a big mistake, I'm, I'm very happy to see him being successful. And I'm very happy that this is a really great opportunity for anyone who has Pugliarvi available in a league. Uh, go get him because this is someone you want for as long as he's rolling. Maybe there are a, maybe there's a cold spell ahead. We don't know for sure that McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to stick together on the top line all this time. And of course, that would affect Pugliarvi's fate and Zach. Hyman's fate as well. Uh, But for now, the way things are, you want Jesse Pugliarvi on your roster. Yeah, I feel like obviously if the lines change, then sure. But as long as he's there, he's a must roster while he's playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl. By the way, Brian, sticking with the Oilers, what a great start for Mike Smith, right? Two games, two wins, 953 save percentage in these two games. Are we going to have to do this thing all year like last year where I'm going to have to bring up Mike Smith on every episode because he's doing well? And then you're going to say, ah, he's probably not going to be that good. He's Mike Smith. He's not a great goalie, which then forces me to then bring him up again on the next episode because he continues to do well. I feel like, Brian, you know, he's still doing well. Now are you still thinking that he's going to slow down? Or maybe should we just go? for a different narrative this season because I don't know the like I, I know what you're gonna say but I don't know I just feel like Mike Smith yeah he's not gonna keep up this 953 save percentage but this just seems like such a good spot for him he's the clear starter on what's looking like a clearly good team even if he has a bad game the Oilers have a decent chance to win just because they score so many goals with McDavid and Pugliarvi and, and Dreisaitl and co so I don't know I think at this point I'm ready to just say like Mike Smith is someone maybe we should have ranked higher and more goalies board this year because he just seems like such a sure bet whenever he plays 
Okay, yeah. So there's a lot here, right? This is a conversation we've been having for a couple of years now, both about Smith and about the quality of the Oilers. Like you said, he's on a really good team. I'm, I'm still not sure that's true, and that's a conclusion that you can jump to. Uh, McDavid's team is a great team because of McDavid, but we've seen shortcomings be exposed in the past when they only rely on McDavid. So, but getting beyond the quality of the Oilers, who are still like a good team, right? They're they're easily a, a top half team in the league, maybe even a top third in the league team. For Mike Smith specifically, I appreciate all he's done, and and he has a great track record, and he has no competition in the crease. So, th- so that's good. Um, but he still feels risky to me, and feels like this house of cards, right? That is just you know just a little gust away from everything collapsing. But at least at least Mike Smith is a house of cards at all, rather than the pile that he's been in the past. So I I think that's a step forward for Mike Smith and my assessment of Mike Smith, that he has built himself up into this house of cards. If I I have him in a league where like only wins count this year, and I'm really happy about it, if you're looking for rates, for sure, like, like, enjoy, eat it up, whatever Mike Smith is serving you. Just uh, my one concern, if it were me having Mike Smith in a league where rates counted, I would be wary of becoming too reliant on him because I just still, I'm not ready to truly depend on him. But of course, a really great option, Mike Smith, for as long as he can keep this up, which seems indefinite because I didn't expect him to keep it up all of last season. And uh, he's off to a great start this season. I, I don't understand it, but I will respect it. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like there's lots of goals. It's like, obviously, you can say that about any goalie that, like, yeah, uh, there could be a gust of wind and they can be shaky. Like, this week, we'll get to, like, Connor Hellebuck and, like, uh, even Vasilevsky having bad games. So, as of now, I, I feel like Mike Smith is just as reliable as a lot of these other guys. But, uh, you know, like, within context, like, I don't think he's, like, the most insane goalie. But at this point, I'm no longer surprised when he has a good start like I was last year when he started this hot run. Now it kind of seems like it's just happening over and over again. Uh, one last oiler, I did bring up Tyson Barry. Brian, I'll be honest, I'm starting to feel a little bit panicky about this guy. I spent a lot of money on him in the couple not saying I'm planning on dropping him, but I am just feeling like, ugh, why did I bid on this guy? I could have gotten someone who would have given me like one assist and then I would have won my matchup this week. He's still getting lots of time on ice and power play time, but no points so far in these two games. Even though the Oilers keep scoring, they're getting power play goals. I guess he's there and just not touching the puck. Brian, please tell me I have nothing to worry about about this traumatic week one where uh, one Barry anything would have given me the win. You have nothing to worry about, Elon. Let's look at the Tyson Barry checklist. Still on the top power play? Check. Still taking shots on goal. Well, he had three in his last game, so we'll give him a check for that. Not being buried the rest of the time. Tyson Berry saw 22 and a half minutes uh, on average per night in the couple games he's played, so check there. Uh, goals have, are being scored while Barry's on the ice. Check. The only thing that's missing here is Barry is not getting in on any of those goals while he's on the ice. Zero percent points participation so far. Usually he's in on about 40% of them, and I think that's usually... Just a variance thing. So that's going to change. I'm sorry it was a really unfortunate first week, but I will repeat, you have nothing to worry about at this point with Tyson Barry. Okay, so then maybe the advice is if you're in a league where someone else is panicking about Tyson Barry, now's the time to go trade for him if you can. I don't know if we want to use the terms buy low and sell high as often this season as we have in the past, because sometimes people tell us that these are kind of like corny things to say. But Barry does seem like someone that I know I'm a little nervous, but like I'm going to try to be a cool head. And like Brian, like you said, I've been looking and seeing, okay, he's getting a lot of power play time. It'll probably be fine. But I don't know if other fantasy managers will feel the same way. By the way, something I didn't mention really quickly about uh, Tampa Bay is Kucherov didn't finish the game versus Washington. Apparently he's going to get evaluated when Tampa 
Tampa returns home. So always a little concerning, especially for someone who missed a full season most recently. So definitely something to watch for Kucherov. I mean, you never know as far as our Stamkos conversation went. Maybe Stamkos will be getting back on that top line with Braden Point for a little bit, but obviously wishing the best to uh, Nikita Kucherov. But okay, so that's McDavid. Let's go to now the fifth leading scorer in the league after two games or three games. It's Alex Ovechkin. That's the guy I was talking about. Another older player like Kopitar and like Stamkos that are somehow being as good as they've ever been or better. Uh, We already talked about Ovi's two-goal, two-assist game versus the Rangers on short shifts on Thursday with Lewis. He had another goal on Saturday versus Tampa, including eight shots on goal in that game. Man, Alex Ovechkin, like, he was falling to late round one in a couple drafts this year. That's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League. And like, I wonder if people were reading too much into his like lower than point per game season last year, because we all know how like Washington got hit hard with COVID. Like Kuznetsov was out. Like We all know the story. So at this point, like I've got Barkov and Ranson in the couple who I spent big on. And if it was a snake draft, I would have taken both of those guys ahead of Ovechkin, I think. But uh, obviously, I don't have any complaints about those too, but I wonder if I should have just gone for Ovi in my draft. Like it was only a couple years ago in fantasy where Ovi was like a sure shot, like top three, top four guy with all of the shots on goal and the hits and just the full category coverage. And especially in the couple where we count shots so much, I don't know, such a huge star for him. I wonder if he's just going to be able to put up another Ovi like season, 50 goals, like 400 shots. I don't know. Good start so far. I know it's only two games. You're already laughing at me. So I'll let you go ahead and tell me why I'm being dumb. I'm sorry. I'm only laughing because I I hadn't looked at your video for a little while. If anyone is missing this, uh, you can head on over to our YouTube channel and see uh, how Elon has guaranteed you, the listener, such great sound quality through this episode while he is recording from a remote location. Uh, But your question was about Alex Ovechkin. I love that this whole episode is just going to be you overreacting to the first two games. Okay, okay, it's not me overreacting. I'm asking the question. Like, I'm just, I got to talk about something, right? Like, there's games that happen. Should have drafted Ov. Like I, I, that's a big step to say you should have drafted Ovechkin over Barkov and Rantanen. But I don't. I don't think so. I mean, Ovi has looked beastly. And that's great. I'm really happy to see that. It makes hockey more exciting for all of us when Ovechkin is doing his thing and we get to watch our generation's best goal scorer, maybe any generation's best goal scorer, continue to do his thing. That's a gift that we can enjoy. And I'm glad over the first couple games, we are still seeing that that gift is there on the table for us. Um, Looking at what Ovi did last year and thinking, oh, that was a, a, a bad thing. I mean, it was weird for everyone. He still managed a 77-point pace. So it was just four points off his pace from the year prior. So I think if you got really down on him because of that, that might have been a mistake. But I still think that Ovechkin comes after Barkov and Rantanen in drafts. And that the reason for that is upside, right? You know Ovechkin's good for 40 or 50 goals, uh, 30 to 40 assists. And it's going to come out to about 80, maybe 85 points, whereas Barkov and Rantanen, both have Century Club, 100-point upside. So that's the reason why I don't think it was a mistake, but I can definitely understand the FOMO of watching. A, a lot of people probably passed on Alex Ovechkin this year, and I understand that it's hard to watch him do so well, but also just try and enjoy. Uh, he's he's on everyone's team here as he chases the all-time <laughs> NHL goals record. One thing about his game for anyone feeling that FOMO in bangers leagues, just a, a little piece that maybe might make you feel a little better. Ovechkin has only three hits in his first two games. Now, maybe this is related to that injury he was dealing with from preseason uh, that, you know, we weren't sure if he was even going to play in the first game. I wouldn't be surprised 
if Ovi's hit rates fall for the third straight season. A couple years ago, there were three hits per game, and last season, two hits per game. This season, I wouldn't be surprised if Ovi's hit rates fell to about one or one and a half hits per game. I, I just don't know if that's still something he needs to prioritize in his game, although it is one of the ways he does eventually score a goal. But uh, in a bangers league, I would I would temper my expectations for Ovechkin's hits. Yeah, I mean, what are you even going to do about it? But yeah, as long as he's taking those shots and scoring those goals, uh, it's pretty sweet. Because yeah, I agree with you that like Ovi's probably more like an 80-point guy and Barkov and Ranton in our 100-point guys. But in a league like the Kukufl, we count goals more than assists and we count shots by a decent amount. So that's where I'm coming from there. But no, definitely I agree. Okay, so uh, since we're on Washington, how about that Vitek Vanacek getting the first two games of the season? Not only getting the games, crushing them. Two quality starts at 938 save percentage overall. And honestly, I think of him as having done even better than a 938 save percentage because one of those goals against was an overtime versus Tampa, which you know me, Brian. I don't think that uh, overtime goal against should count against a goalie save percentage. It doesn't seem fair, but whatever, whatever. That's a separate conversation. I'm just saying Vanacek has been amazing, looking even better than his numbers indicate. So should we be updating our expectations and consider him as of now the starter over Samsonov on Washington? Like, like how long do we have to wait? Like, if you have Samsonov in your league where generally backups aren't rostered, why do you hold on to this guy? Well, Vanacek has had two good games, probably is going to get the next game, or I guess we'll have to wait and see, obviously. But at some point, you have to just change your plan. I know that you're not supposed to read too much into a couple games but you don't like it when a starting goalie is missing and the backup is getting the two games at some point you have to just change your mind about who's the starter and who's the backup and with Vanacek, it's not just reading into his performance for the last couple games. It's reading into the coach's decision, which will be a bit more of a sustainable measure of what to expect, right? Like Peter Laviolette is going to probably think along the lines that he's been thinking so far, whereas Vanacek, we don't know what his performance is going to be. But a huge vote of confidence really surprised a lot of people that Vanacek got this nod on opening night. You know, Samsonov was the assumptive starter for the Capitals going into camp so much so that on our preseason episodes, I was actually getting pretty excited about him because I had said Vanacek uh, had an opportunity to step up as a number one or number one A goalie, and I didn't think he'd met that mark. And so I thought things were wide open for Samsonov, uh, but he did not grab the fresh opportunity, I guess, that was available to him in camp. But that's not to take away for anything from Vanacek, who uh, apparently, according to the coaching staff, had a really great camp and stepped up and, and grabbed this spot for himself. Uh, and Vanacek has been outstanding. He is the early NHL leader in five-on-five Delta Fenwick save percentage, which is a measure that helps us account for how how much better a goalie is playing compared to what he should be expected to do based on the average goalie in the league. So Vanacek is stopping uh, shots that many goalies in the league wouldn't be expected to sh- to stop. I'm not sure how the Caps split the rest of the way, but I'm wondering if 60-40 in Vanacek's favor is on the table now. And that's why I think he should be rostered in leagues where goalies matter. Uh, Vanacek is on my own Kukupful team, and I'm hoping he can continue holding that spot. I'm not sold that he's going to be a season-long hold, but I am on board until Vanacek falters. If I, if I had to guess who's going to falter first between Mike Smith and Vitek Vanacek, I think I'd say Vitek Vanacek, which is a another way of, Elon, of me trying to extend the olive branch on Mike Smith. Uh, but I'm still really excited from these early results from Vanacek and the uh, the amount of good favor that he's curried with the coaching staff already. 
Yeah, I think it's definitely a situation where right now the ball is in like in his court, but obviously Samsonov is going to play games and it's probably going to go to the goalie that plays better. But you know, for some teams, it's like there's a starter and even if they struggle, you still expect them to get more starts because they're the starter. But I think at this point, Washington's going to go with the goalie that they think is playing better. So if Samsonov gets Tuesday's game for Washington, if he plays well, there you go. I don't know, back to square one. But if he does badly, then that'll be a big point in Vanacek's favor. So we'll see what happens there on Tuesday. That'll be a big game for Samsonov, I think. All right, so sixth on the list of leading scorers in the league is Victor Hedman, five assists in three games. Not much to say there. Hedman's great. If Tampa's scoring a lot of goals, you got to assume that Hedman's going to be getting some assists. Uh, number seven, I'll stop here because obviously we could go just all day counting down the list of uh, leading scorers, but I had to bring up Tyler Bertuzzi, who has four goals and one assist in two games. And of course, those four goals all came in his season opener versus Tampa. Four goals on four shots. So he didn't miss a shot there, but uh, he had a great game. He also assisted on Gagne's late goal in the 3-1 win over Vancouver on Saturday. So I'm talking about Tyler Bertuzzi here, someone who we did not expect to be at the top of the league's standings. If anything, people were getting a little worried about him because in the preseason there was all the news that he wasn't vaccinated and he wouldn't be able to go play those games in Canada so we, who knows what's gonna happen with that but as of now he's been a top line guy in the first game with Larkin in the second game with Fabry and Lucas Raymond because Larkin was suspended uh, impressive for Detroit to pull off the win with Larkin suspended against Vancouver or maybe that's just like not impressive for Vancouver depending on how you want to look at it so Brian, what kind of a season are we expecting from Bertuzzi here after this hot start like keep in mind last year he had seven points in his first nine games before going down with that season ending injury so maybe what he's doing now is similar to what we could have expected him to continue doing last year so i'm curious to get your current gut check on like is tyler bertuzzi like you know i'm not gonna say like point per game but like are we looking at a pretty likely 60 plus point guy here I don't think so. Uh, To use the words pretty likely would be a stretch for Tyler Bertuzzi. And yes, you drew a line between uh, Bertuzzi's hot start this season with his nine games last season. But you put them together. He's scored nine times on his last 26 shots, including four times on six shots so far this season. So what Bertuzzi has done the last two years has begun the year on his shooting percentage bender, which is really exciting. But on the other hand, Tyler Bertuzzi is barely getting any assists. So once these uh, shooting percentages regress and go back to what we would expect from him, which based on his career history, somewhere around 15, 16%, which is, that's high. That's great. That's beautiful. Um, But it's still... 10 to 50% lower than his shooting percentages uh, this year and the nine games that he played last year. So uh, my my concern and the reason why I'm not going so excitedly for 60 plus points for Bertuzzi is that I'm not sure when those shooting percentages do disappear, how much he is able to assist on. Um, you know, I, it kind of reminds me this year of Joel Farby from last year, super hot scoring start. Maybe these goals will keep coming in bunches, uh, but it, it can't hold quite like this. And ultimately a 55-ish point pace is still what I expect from Bertuzzi, which by the way, is exactly what he did in his age 23 and 24 seasons. Now Tyler Bertuzzi is 26 years old, so we could hope he's grown, but he's not a guy who screams to me to have this big open-ended upside to grow into. Like, he's not like a Fiala or Vrana or Bjorkstrand or even Mantha. I see Bertuzzi as a 55-60 point player, and right now I would like to see what he looks like with a regular shooting percentage and the rest of his team there uh, before I get even more excited about him beyond thinking of him as that 55-60 point guy. 
Yeah, makes sense. Obviously, this is Brian here. He's not going to change his perception about a player after two games. But obviously, Bertuzzi is someone that obviously is already on people's radars. And he is on the top line and top power play. So he's going to get the opportunity to put up points. We'll see how Detroit can do. I think it's more a question of can Detroit have a player who has like 60 plus points, maybe 70 points. And if yes, that player might just be Bertuzzi because he's in the situation to be on the ice for a lot of the scoring opportunities. We'll have to see how it goes. Another player who's in those great opportunities has been Lucas Raymond, who's also been on the top line of top power, but he's not had as exciting a start as Bertuzzi. Only one assist on all of the Bertuzzi fireworks on Thursday and then no points yesterday. And Raymond's only had one shot over the two games. Is he the kind of player at this point where if you grabbed him like as a lottery ticket to start the season because he had a strong preseason, we saw that he was going to be on the top line. Do you still hold on to him while he's on that top line, even if he's not producing? Or do you move on at this point for a different shiny object? Lucas Raymond is also on my cupful roster and I am ready to move on. It's it's hard to fully judge Raymond with Dylan Larkin suspended. Like D- Lucas Raymond has played his first NHL game and then his second NHL game came with really the only other really capable center uh, not in the lineup. So we don't really have a sense on what Lucas Raymond uh, can do yet. And of course, it all depends on your patience level. But in the cupful, there's not really much time in tier two for me to be patient. So I am very likely, it's not for sure, for sure, but I'm likely ready to move on until he starts showing me something. And the main reason for that is because he only has that one shot in two games. So there's really nothing at all coming from him while I wait. And I don't like that. Yeah, that's basically been my policy ever since I started playing fantasy hockey. If I'm not seeing shots, I'm worried. Unless it's like Henrik Sedin, and I shouldn't have expected them in the first place. Uh, since we're on Detroit, I have to mention, of course, Thomas Grice. Another amazing start for him. He stopped 40 of 41 yesterday versus Vancouver to take Detroit to the win. Uh, don't forget, he was unbeatable for the last month of last season. So this is just continuing an amazing run, I guess, just like Bertuzzi, but maybe even to another level. Like, Grice was one of the top goalies. Like, I have to stress this. He was like a top goalie in fantasy last season for the last month. An amazing start. So we'll see what happens next. Nijelkovic got the first start. Obviously, it did not go as well in that firefight versus Tampa. He led in seven goals, but he had 48 shots against us. Maybe not his fault, but still, Grice and Nijelkovic will be interesting to see how that shakes out. I don't know if there's any actionable advice to give yet, aside from... I mean, if, like, at some point, if Grice continues to perform like he has been over his past 15, 20 games, at some point, you just have to give him every start to give yourself a chance to win, unless Detroit just wants to tank. Remember last year, Grice was on the Nedeljkovic side of this equation where Bernier was doing great and Grice wasn't. And what we were thought would be a 50-50 split ended up seeing Jonathan Bernier just uh, take a slight lead in that tandem. And I don't think this situation is so much different than Bernier and Grice last year. Uh, Grice and Nedeljkovic could both be great for volume if and when you need that. Uh, if you want to place a bet on one goalie getting more games than the other, I think I would place my bet on Tomasz Grice, but I think it's going to land pretty close to a 50-50 split unless either of them is, is really struggling. So we'll see what the pattern becomes uh, as these guys have good games and bad games and see if they switch every time no matter what or if they get to play two or three or even four in a row. Uh, but my guess is overall it's going to wash out. So these uh, Grice and Nadalkovich are decent spot starts. Grice may be a little more decent than Nadalkovich, but not anyone to really get too attached to. Yeah, I agree with you. I think at this point, though, if I'm playing like a daily fantasy game, like uh, on our awesome sponsor underdog, where you draft teams, I would definitely if Detroit's playing and Grice has been confirmed, just wait to your last pick. Don't grab Vasilevsky or Hellebuck with your first pick, because might as well just wait until your last pick and potentially get a 40 save performance from Thomas Grice. I'd like to see how he's doing. But Brian, we've got a lot to get to. But first, why don't we just actually stop down and take a second to talk about underdog? Because underdog is such a blast. We're so happy to be sponsored by these guys. 
guys. I don't know if you've heard of another podcast called the Fantasy Hockey Podcast. It was like the super popular, awesome podcast. Underdog is like made by those guys. That's why the podcast stopped is because they're focused on this amazing app where it's like daily fantasy. But unlike the other ones that you're probably used to playing, you don't just pick your players. You have a draft. You just like go to the site. You say, I'm ready to play. You say, sign up for a draft. And then other people, you could either make your own private draft with your friends or you can just say I'm in and then whoever you know joins right away. Then you start your draft for just those night's games. So it's just such a blast. And then you get to cheer for your players. And if you do well, you win a little bit of uh, money. And either way, it's just really fun. It's like playing fantasy, but just on it's like daily fantasy the way that I would have imagined daily fantasy was if someone told me this term daily fantasy before, you know, I saw what it actually has turned out to be for a lot of people. So it's a blast. And Brian, I think we have some special offer code for people who sign up and use underdog. I really recommend that people try it out. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's been uh, like, it's really fun. Like you said, uh, it's what I wish daily fantasy would be. I, I don't I don't know about you, but I've occasionally been turned off from some of the other DFS apps and contests when I try to play them. Uh, it feels like kind of closed and a little hard to interpret. And uh, but uh, Underdog makes it really easy. It's the easiest place to play fantasy sports. I actually like you mentioned drafts is one way to play. I made a pick 'em slip. I think that's what it's called. So uh, the more pickums you take, like the more prop bets you you make, you get a multiplier on what you win. So on the fir- my first one of the season, I had Patrick Hornqvist under half a point, Nadelkovic over 27 and a half saves, Panarin over a half an assist, and Barzal over half a point. And I got them all, four for four, and uh, I was able to turn my, my meager $1 bet into 10. But that's that's how I play. I just play like a buck at a time, and we encourage you to do the same and play responsibly if and when you do. And if you do play, uh, that thing you mentioned, Elon, about the little bonus for our listeners, right now when you sign up with the code KEEPING and make your first deposit of $10, you're going to get $10 free in bonus cash, which is good for entering a daily draft or making a pick em slip of your own. Again, uh, that's code keeping. So with puck drops happening all over the league already, what are you waiting for? Go to underdogfantasy.com, the app store or the Google Play store. Sign up with the code keeping. That's underdog fantasy promo code keeping to join in on the fun that we've already started. If you're on a discord server, we have a little channel where we talk about this sort of thing. Uh, and Elon and I are sharing our draft entries and pick them slips there. And maybe, maybe it's time we share one or two on Twitter too. So keep an eye out for that. Again, uh, that's underdog fantasy promo code keeping. Yeah, thanks again to Underdog. Okay, we've got a lot to get to, and we want to go without any more interruptions. So we're going to take one last quick break, and then we're going to go through all of these injuries and then all of the cold streak players, because I've been too positive so far. So we'll get to that in all just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back. So, Brian, actually, one more hot streak I want to get to before we get to the sad stuff of the injuries and the cold streaks to end the show. Brian, you must be feeling good about your Elvis Merzlikens prediction going into the season. Just like Vitek Vanacek, Elvis has gotten the first two games of the year, even though maybe a lot of people would have considered Columbus to be a team that would go back and forth with their goalies like they've done in previous years. No, Elvis got the first two, and he was great. 948 save percentage, two wins. This Blue Jackets team, that's a team that I thought was for sure a tank team that was going to be bad this year. I remember I talked to Allison Lucan over the offseason. She said, don't expect much from Columbus. Columbus. And obviously one of those games was against Arizona, so let's not get too crazy excited. But man, so far, Columbus is looking okay, uh, and Merzlikens is looking amazing. So anyone who drafted him must be really happy right now. And if he's somehow available in your free agency, I think you got to pounce immediately. I agree with Allison that we shouldn't be expecting a lot from Columbus in terms of offense or wins. 
But yeah, my expectations of Merzlikens have been really high. I think he's someone who really shines when all the pressure is on him and he needs to have a big performance. I love what Elvis Merzlikens has shown us so far. Definitely has his work cut out for him. The, the Columbus Blue Jackets are actually playing decent defense, but producing not a ton of offensive danger, which actually should bode well for Merzlikens if they're in a lot of tight checking, stingy type games. Those are the games where Merzlikens might be able to eke out a few more wins than he would with a different style of team. That said, don't expect those wins to come in bunches for Columbus and Merzlikens, but I still have my very high hopes for him this year, putting up some really fantastic rate stats, seeing a lot of volume, and holding that crease. While I'm bragging, Elon, for a moment about preseason goalies, uh, or calls I made on preseason goalies, how about Tristan Jari, too? 929 save percentage against Tampa in that season opener. He was not quite as impressive uh, in that crazy game against Chicago, where Pittsburgh scored four times in, what was it, the first 10 minutes. But Jari's off to a good start after a lot of people had written him off because of his, uh, well, essentially team-crushing playoff performance. But I think Jari is going to be a good fantasy asset all year long. This is what we've been saying. I still believe it despite that playoff collapse. And I, I hope he's providing good value to you if you have him on your roster. And if he's somehow available or floating around out there, he's definitely worth a look because Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh, pretty competitive so far, even without Crosby and Malkin. Yeah, I'm almost wondering if at this point the new takeaway is like if a team has like all their star players injured, just like bet on them to win games. Because somehow, I don't know, I feel like this happens a lot. Like everyone just assumed, oh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, I wanted to have the uh, goalie playing against Pittsburgh because they don't have anyone. And then Danton Heinen and like Evan Rodriguez and all these random players did really well. So there you go. And and the goalies were last year's Vesna candidates in Andre Vasilevsky and Marc-Andre Fleury. So you might even want them more. But yeah, it's crazy, which is a funny segue into this next team we're looking at is it vegas yeah well they're they're about to be missing some of their star players so do you expect them to rattle off more wins than usual Oh, yeah. Well, I guess you never know. Like, I guess I don't know. Is there something about, you know, I've been watching Ted Lasso, right? Maybe it's not about the talent on the team. It's about the coaching and the way the team comes together and like believes in themselves and whatever else. But yeah, things are not good over in Vegas. So we've officially ended the happy part of the show, maybe with some of these players that we're talking about on cold streaks. I might mention some other players on their teams who are doing well. But yeah, let's do some injuries. And then we're going to end on the cold streaks. And man, rough news out of Vegas, because Mark Stone is day to day with a lower body injury. And Max Pacioretty is week to week with a lower body fracture and reports are saying he's going to be gone for like at least six weeks or about six weeks oh my god do you know that john reed and i were drafting for this new keeper league going into the season and on our third round pick we were deciding between patch and kaprizov and kaprizov hadn't signed yet and i was being such a wimpy little you know about like worried about kaprizov not signing now i'm especially regretting like after the first game when patch had a couple goals i was like okay we nailed it now man i really wish i had kaprizov because he's healthy and fine and patch already in his mid-30s and uh, now he's going to miss a lot of time. So that stinks for him. Stinks for Vegas, because also Mark Stone is a pretty key player on the team. Got to imagine it stinks for Chandler Stevenson, who's had a really good start to the season. Two goals and one assist in three games, but I don't think he'll be able to keep that up if he doesn't have his star wingers with him. Uh, as far as like fantasy benefits or relevant things, like I don't even know. It seems like everything's bad for everybody. Like I guess you could say Dadanov. Uh, maybe gets in the top like someone's going to get in the top six someone's going to get top power play spots that they normally don't get but man it's not good for a team to lose their two best players also can't imagine it's great for Alex Petrangelo like the defenseman and Petrangelo by the way already has come out slow like pointless with only three shots in the first two games so maybe as a side thing we can just answer if we're nervous about Petrangelo or not but yeah I'm just sad right now overall for Vegas what a bad situation to lose your top two players like that 
It's definitely really sad. It's a sad situation for Vegas, and Stone and Pacioretty don't come cheap in fantasy drafts and leagues. So our thoughts are with any of their managers who are figuring out, okay, where do I go from here? Who is this good for? I think this is good for Riley Smith, William Carlson, and Jonathan Marcheseau, who are likely to return to that top-line L1 status that they had before Vegas, you know, just went out and took two of the better players in the league and added them to their roster. By the way, do you know that, you know, there's rumors now that they're in on Jack Eichel, like specific enough to say that Peyton Krebs is the guy they refuse to trade away in a Jack Eichel deal. It's just like, why does Vegas just get like, okay, we're going to take that guy and that guy and that guy. They they basically get to make their own super team and they've managed it under the cap. So good for them. But yeah, so this uh, this elevates Smith, Carlson, and Marcheseau perhaps back to the levels they had in that first franchise year for Vegas, except remember that wasn't totally sustainable for them, but it still gives them a little chance to step up and do their thing. I think Petrangelo and uh, Shea Theodore, like you're worried about them. I think they're going to survive. There might not be quite as many goals to get in on, but I think on the whole, I don't think they're going to lose a whole lot of value. And then who who does this really open the door for that wouldn't have had an opportunity before? Uh, how about Nolan Patrick, Evgeny Dadanov, and the aforementioned Peyton Krebs and all three guys might be worth rostering this week because Vegas plays Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, three nice off night games for Vegas. So you may have a guy on your roster who only plays like as of Tuesday this week and doesn't play at all or or you don't have room for him like he won't be able to fit in your lineup on that tuesday night and he might not even fit on your lineup on thursday in that case maybe you swap him out if he's at the bottom of your roster for someone like patrick dadanoff krebs even riley smith or william carlson might be available in your league so just take a peek and make a grab accordingly yeah, so I guess, yeah, it's nice to look at the uh, upside there. And yeah, Vegas does have that good schedule next week. Speaking of good schedules, you got to be listening to the stream scheme. If you're in a weekly league where you can make ad drops, try to maximize your games played, and you haven't listened to the stream scheme podcast by Dave Benton, we dropped the first episode on our feed here. But if you want to hear the rest of them, just go subscribe. Search wherever you listen to podcasts for stream scheme, and he's going to give you probably that same advice that Brian gave to go get Vegas players. But yeah, Brian, you're being very optimistic here that this like helps the Marcia So Smith Carlson line. Like, you know, another way to look at it is now other teams are going to be able to focus their best defenders on that line instead of on the uh, Pacioretty line. So we'll have to yeah. wait and see. Like, I'm not I'm not too excited about all of a sudden, like, oh, it's Riley Smith season now because Pacioretty <laughs> and, and Stone are injured. I okay. think that this might be kind of bad. But obviously, we'll have to wait and see. There's there's two ways you could look at anything. It's funny because you, like, kind of scoffed while I was talking, and I wasn't sure. Like, I really didn't know what the scoff was at, and I, I guess that explains it. I also, like, there's two more power play spots open for these guys as well. You know, Vegas has been splitting power play units, so perhaps uh, Vegas doesn't split power play units now, which would impact Petrangelo and Theodore if they still only go with one defenseman on that top unit. So uh, keep an eye on what the power play combos are. Hopefully the news is good for Stone. We already know it's not going to be great for Pacioretty, uh, but we'll just keep an eye on how this all develops. And I think, okay, so Elon, let me just ask you, uh, Smith, Carlson, and Marcia. So, do you think they do the same, better, or worse in, let's say, two weeks with Pacioretty and Stone out? 
Yeah, honestly, like, I don't want to, like, put a lot of time into this, because who knows, but, like, I would say probably the same. I'm not, like, expecting too okay. much of an increase, but, well, yeah, you're right. Like, let's take a look at the PowerPoint time. Everyone needs to be checking out our site that we made for you, the listeners. We're not making money off this, okay? GameDayLineTweets.com. You can go there, click on Vegas, and you'll get the most updated line combinations from practices. And, like you said, Vegas doesn't play till Wednesday, so we're probably going to get a couple practice tweets before Wednesday to get a sense of who might be the players you want to go for if you're streaming someone in on that Wednesday. All right, so, Brian, you made a tweet today asking if people have players that they had high hopes for going into the season that they've already given up on and we got a lot of interesting responses and we figured let's just go through the responses on the podcast and then we can give our opinion on whether these people should be giving up on these players or if they should be holding on so it's basically a cold streak section but provided by our twitter followers and obviously you can follow us and get your name mentioned on the show by uh, following us and responding to our tweets over at keeping carlson but let's get right into the responses here let's start with Keith holding on with some extra letters in there, some extra E's and N's at Real Hub Hockey. Brian, when I say the people who tweeted at us, should I say their like name on Twitter or their handle? Because I don't feel like saying both for every single person. This is like Keith holding on and also at Real Hub Hockey, which are two very different things. So which one do you want me to say moving forward here? I think we go with the handle. All right, I don't we'll know. do handle. Okay. All right, at Real Hub Hockey brought up Nick Ritchie. So Ritchie's someone in the preseason, looked like he was in this amazing spot, which really gave me deja vu because last year it was Joe Thornton who we were talking about playing on the top line with Matthews and Marner. Of course, Matthews has been injured, but Nick Ritchie's been playing on the top line with Tavares and Marner, which seems like a really great spot for him. But unfortunately, he's done absolutely nothing. He's played three games. He has no points, only three shots over those three games. Is the hope maybe that he'll be better once Matthews is back? And by the way, the news is that Austin Matthews will play on Monday. So I don't know, Matthews is back better than Tavares so I guess that's good so do you hold on to Richie I feel like okay my advice would be you hold on to Richie at least for Monday's game because you've held him this long it's already Monday and he's playing so just hold him then drop him maybe come Tuesday if he still does nothing but obviously he hasn't been great but you can't argue with that deployment no you can't argue with that deployment for Nick Richie but uh yeah I think you keep him for Monday and then you toss him if he's not doing much it's it's hard to get a really solid read on Nick Richie until Austin Matthews is back and the Leafs lineup looks the way it's gonna and how Nick Ritchie fits in that equation. Uh, we also saw Nick Ritchie losing a bit of power play deployment. Uh, he and Spezza took turns on the top power play in the Leafs' last game against Ottawa. But if you're wondering what to do with Nick Ritchie, it's kind of like what we talked about with Lucas Raymond earlier. These guys are, are preseason lottery tickets, and your patience depends on how much of it you can afford, how many matchups you might be able to afford to lose without really jeopardizing your playoff status. If, if, if I'm in a league where I can count on making the playoffs, regardless of how I do the next couple weeks, I may just want to wait until Matthews is back and see what Nick Ritchie can do, assuming that he still is a step above over the next set of free agent options, or at least that upside is worth holding on for. So uh, this is all very league dependent and manager dependent. Uh, but if I'm in the cupful and I'm looking at Nick Ritchie, I'm giving him one more chance on Monday and then cutting ties if he hasn't changed uh, changed his narrative. And then when Austin Matthews does come back, then maybe I'll grab him again the same way I might be more interested in Lucas Raymond once Dylan Larkin is back too. Okay, well, like I said, Matthews will be back on Monday, so you will be able to see, and Lucas Raymond will will see him with Larkin. And in, in theory, I agree with what you're saying. Like, if you can wait, like afford to wait, then might as well if you're going to make the playoffs anyways. But I don't know if you're waiting on Nick Ritchie. Like, if anything, maybe the advice is you need to be jumping on that next free agent that might help you more. Like, you know, I think that advice that you gave is more for like your star players that are not doing well or people you invested draft capital on. Then you say, yeah, if you could afford to wait, then maybe, you know, wait for that cold. So you'd wait for Alex Petrangelo. <laughs> Obviously, you're going to hold on to him. But you know what I'm saying? Nick Ritchie, definitely a pair 
apparently from people in our chat here, Leafs fans are already really down on him. I think, yeah, one more game, then throw him out if he doesn't do anything in that game in pretty much all formats, I would say. Anyways, but yeah, in the meantime, on the Leafs, Michael Bunting, who was slated to start the season on the second line with Tavares, then Tavares had to go to the top line. So Bunting was still playing, though, with superstar William Nylander, who might even be the best player on this team so far through the first three games of the season. Bunting's been great. I think he probably qualifies for me as being the Leafs' uh, fifth best forward to own at the moment after the big four, obviously. So Bunting had a goal and three shots and a 3-1 win over Ottawa yesterday. Two points in three games now, nine shots over those three games. Not too shabby. And he's about to get a much better centerman in John Tavares come Monday when Matthews is back to bump Tavares down to the second line. I took some lottery tickets this season, more than I'm used to taking, and Michael Bunting was one of them. But in the week between my drafts and the season starting... I, I let him go. And like every, like I, I was just more excited or interested in other guys or thought they had better odds of paying off. And sure enough, Michael Bunting is now the one that got away. He wins as the Leafs' third wheel that you wanted a piece of, which is what we were trying to figure out in the preseason. I love Bunting's shot volume. By the way, a shout out to William Nylander, who's making that line work with Michael Bunting and Alex Kerfoot. I know you love William Nylander based on what you shared on the last Short Shifts episode, and I am sold too. This could be a big year for Nylander, and it really uh, pads his resume that he is making offense happen with Michael Bunting and Alex Kerfoot, who, no disrespect, like, well, Kerfoot's a decent, he's okay as an NHLer. Bunting, we're still figuring it out, but uh, I don't think just anyone could make that trio work. So shout out to William Nylander. Yeah, I'm at a cottage right now with some friends, as I think we've mentioned, and one of them is one of these Leafs fans, you know, that I think is very much just following what the general narrative is of what Leafs fans say about their players. And I brought up to him how Nylander's having this amazing start to the season. He was like, yeah, but he's soft. He doesn't, whatever. So, you know, I feel like this is like the narrative and some Leafs fans are still mad at him for like holding out that season or for maybe not getting enough fights or hitting enough. I don't know. Anyways, I love him and you definitely want him on any of your fantasy teams. Obviously, you can't get him anywhere, but I don't think he's going to slow down. He's not like a sell high or anything like that with Matthews coming back, in my opinion. All right. So next up at James Thom AT, maybe it's Tom with a silent H there. So he threw out Jeff Petrie. And yeah, the Habs have also played three games and the Habs have only scored three goals in total over those three games which means there's a lot of players on this team that are disappointing, people who drafted them. And Petrie, yeah, is one of them. No points. Uh, six shots, five hits, three blocks, which is nothing special, right? Six shots in three games. It's only two shots per game. I guess it's pretty okay for a defenseman. But yeah, like I said, the whole team has been doing nothing aside from Jonathan Drouin, who scored two of the three goals for the team. That leaves Suzuki, Caulfield, and Toffoli, that top line going into the season, all with no points as well. Coach Ducharme even changed up the lines uh, in the most recent game. He bumped Toffoli to the third line versus the Rangers. So Toffoli was with Gallagher and Evans, and then Yoel Armia took the place on the Suzuki Caulfield line and remembered that Mike Hoffman has been injured. Apparently, he's been skating, could be back next week. So everything is probably in flux right now as they try to figure out a way to score, which could be like best case scenario if you drafted and stashed Mike Hoffman because maybe they're like, okay, well, Tafold's not working on the top line. Let's get Hoffman in there and hope something works. Obviously, Hoffman will have to like produce and earn that spot, and that's a whole other story because it looks like this Habs team is having some trouble scoring. But like I said, everything's in flux. This is another team where you definitely want to be watching your game day line tweets and waiting for something to click and for this team to start start scoring like I personally would not be panicking about Jeff Petrie because I don't think the Habs are only going to score like one goal per game for the whole season and when they do score I think Petrie will very likely be getting in on them as like the main power play defenseman and even strength defenseman they're pretty much only offensive defenseman that I could think of but yeah not a great start for the Habs 
Not a great start from the Habs. And you know they're not a team that I get very excited about for fantasy value. In fact, they're a team that I generally avoid taking players from in my drafts because I don't ever think that they are terribly offensively inclined. And we thought maybe that would change this year, but I wasn't ready to buy in. So far, that's what's bearing out. But I'm also, well, even coming from that perspective, I'm not at all writing off the possibility that all these guys in Montreal are going to be fine and that this is just a weak start to the season just by happenstance. Like, look at look at the, what the team has or doesn't have. The Canadians are a team in flux. Price, Shea Weber, Phil Dano, all not around this season as the team searches for their identity and modus operandi. Uh, Joel Edmondson is still out too, so that's half their top four is missing from last year, which doesn't just impact defense, but it ha- impacts offense too, because your defense is usually the, the guys who begin the breakout for your team. So I'm going to allow Montreal the chance to uh, transition and adapt out of who they were and to what they are now with the guys that they have available. They're also missing, like I said, their number one center in Phil Dano and their number one goalie in Carey Price. So I think we just need to give it time. Montreal is having trouble creating chances. It's true. And they're having even more trouble converting on the ones they've gotten. But it's not a reason to panic just yet. This is a team that has some stuff to figure out as they start the season. For Petrie, I think the the silver lining here is those peripherals are still coming at a reasonable rate. And it's kind of like Darnell Nurse. We're not expecting a ton of points out of him, but we know on the nights, even when Petrie doesn't hit the score sheet, that he's still going to be able to contribute to our fantasy teams in some way. So 45 points hopefully plus five is what you can still expect from Petrie this season with a whack of peripherals that are thankfully still coming. And by the way, Jonathan Drouin, it's so great to see him come in and hit the score sheet early after what he'd been through uh, all of last season with so much speculation about why isn't he there? He's not around missing the cup run. Uh, I streamed him in for that first game, hoping for some magic. And there it was, uh, but it was really nice to see for Jonathan Drouin. So, uh, so way to go to him and hang on on these Habs. You know, I think you might be able to buy low on Suzuki, Caulfield, Toffoli, Petrie if their value somehow is lower than it was on draft day. I'm not downgrading any of my expectations for them. So if you find someone who has them on their roster who is downgrading their expectations for them, maybe start a conversation. But the bottom line is there's no reason to be genuinely concerned yet about the Canadians and their offensive production. Yeah, or at least like I would be like concerned, but yeah, like not not to the point where you're like you know making any rash decisions. Don't forget, if Toffoli does get dropped down to the third line, he spent a decent amount of the season last year on the third line and still like put up a really great season. You know, from getting power play points and just taking a lot of shots. So you know, don't panic about. to Foley, even if he gets bumped by Mike Hoffman or Yoel Armia or whatever. Like, definitely, this is the situation where you got to give this team at least 10 games to kind of figure out, because like Brian said, there's so much in flux. Okay, next up, Brogan Montgomery uh, brought up Vincent Trocek from Carolina. At Patrick Neron brought up Nechas. At Fisheries Robert brought up Yasperi Kokniemis. That's three hurricanes that people are concerned about. So let's go through them one by one. Vincent Trocek, no points in his two games versus the Islanders in Nashville. He had four shots in the opener, but no shots versus Nashville. So I'm assuming people were very frustrated frustrated to get just nothing out of Trocek and he's a guy who generally you could depend on for a decent number of shots so not a great start for him at least in terms of the offensive production he's been playing with a 
Tevo Teravainen and Sveshnikov, or at least on Saturday, and he's been on the top power play, so it's kind of like a Tyson Berry situation where you can't argue with the deployment, but, you know, it's only two games. I guess you have to wait on him. We'll see what Brian says. Nechas, uh, Kokaniemi, both playing on the line with Sebastian Ajo, which should be really good, but yeah, Nechas, he actually has been fine. Like, he had one assist and five shots versus Nashville, so I don't think you could be panicking too much about him. Kokaniemi, he's pointless. He's the, one of those guys where you take a flyer on at the start of the year because of his line, but I'd be ready to move on from him like uh, Nick Ritchie. I see like Nick Ritchie and Kakaniemi pretty similar at this point. Like either of them could do well because they're on a good line, but at the same time, not someone I'm like going to be holding on to just because they're on that line. Uh, so then you might think to yourself, all right, well, Carolina has scored a decent number of goals. So how are like Trocek, Nechas, Kakaniemi not getting any of these points? It's because all the points all on these nine goals have been going to Sveshnikov, Teravainen. Sveshnikov has three goals and one assist in the two games. Teravainen, two goals and one assist. That's already five of the nine goals. So there you go. Brian, what are your general takes on Carolina? Have any of these first two games changed your opinions of any of these players? It hasn't. Don't forget, by the way, you're, you're summarizing the Carolina goal scores. Three for Svechnikov, two for Teravine, and also two for Jesper Faust. And then one each for Nino Niederreiter and Jordan Martinuk. And then with Svechnikov's three, that's all nine goals. By the way, how about Nino Niederreiter uh, not being on that top line where Kotkaniemi is now, but doing what, like, he would have done there anyway in the first game. I think he had a goal and four shots. Something was a great little start, and then he followed that up with a nothing game, which is uh, kind of the way Nino rolls. And uh, I'm not expecting, you know my expectations for Kotkaniemi are low. They're definitely no higher for him than they were for Nito Ryder in that first line spot. But Trocek and Nietzsche, I'm not panicking at all about, especially with Trocek. It's still nice to see him that hold that top power play spot. If you see him get bumped from there, then it's time to panic about Trojek. Uh, but otherwise, stay cool, stay calm. And I and I don't know what would make me panic about Martin Nietzsche's at this point. So just hang in there. It's going to be okay. Okay, so next up, we have one of our favorite patrons, Julianne Paquette, who is oftentimes cutting clips for us, for us to tweet. So when you're seeing those cool clip tweets with, uh, you know, bits from our shows, including the words under it, like, I don't know, it's a whole cool production that Julian's been doing. So thanks so much to Julian. So he tweeted us uh, throwing out Dimitri Yaskin. Uh, he said he thought that he could be decent after dominating the KHL. Well... Yeah, thought wrong. <laughs> Julian, he actually had a funny gift there if you want to go look at the tweet. Uh, but yeah, zero points and zero shots in the 8-2 loss to Columbus. And then he was a healthy scratch on Saturday. So this is not only a cold streak, but someone already getting scratched. You could probably just let go of him. I can't imagine Brian will disagree. Uh, but then sticking with Arizona, at Greg Smith Avaya brought up Jacob Chikorin, who hasn't been on the top power play this season, which seems so crazy to me. But yeah, he only has 31.5% of the power play time in the two games for Arizona. It's been Shane Gossesbeher getting the majority of the power play time as a defenseman. Gossifer even picked up a power play assist and four shots on goal in the Columbus shellacking on Thursday. He had no points, though, in the 2-1 loss to Buffalo. Chikrin, meanwhile, no points, but nine shots in the two games, which is pretty much exactly what I was expecting going into the season. Like, I think this guy's going to take a ton of shots this year, because who else will? But that top power play deployment not being there seems so weird. But also, it's not as if Arizona has been especially productive. They only have three goals in the two games. So maybe uh, things will change soon. So I personally would not be panicking about Chikrin, but it is a weird choice. That's like sounds like a tank choice to me. Though Gossip Behar is no, is no schlub, right? Like he's someone who's been on a top power play and been really successful before. So I guess you can't hate the uh, chance of trying him there now in Arizona. I don't hate Arizona trying him there, but it must be very frustrating to Jacob Shikrin owners to see that happen because we didn't really see that coming. I did mention at the start of the season that Gosses Bear maybe could be on a two defenseman uh, power play configuration in Arizona on the top unit. 
And uh, because they don't have a whole lot of forwards that you're desperate to put on that top unit. But I definitely didn't see Gostaspare displacing Chagrin on that top unit, which, by the way, looks like Gostaspare with Phil Kessel, Lawson Krause, Christian Fisher, and Clayton Keller. I mean, what's Shikrin really missing out on, aside from minutes, of course? But it's really, really nice to see Shikrin still manage nine shots. Craig Morgan, who we had on our 32 Beat series, and who's awesome, uh, he said it was bizarre not seeing uh, Jacob Shikrin on the first unit. So, of course, we have to be concerned about that. Shikrin pays for 21 power play points last season. Cut that in half. If Shikrin's on power play too, plus add in the, the expected regression that we've talked about in our preseason episodes. And that means Shikrin is like a 40 point guy rather than a hopeful 50 point guy. There's nothing to do but keep watching for now. Um, but don't bail on Jacob Shikrin. Let's see how much longer this lasts. Elon, would you, I'll, I'll talk about Yaskin in a second, but would you bail on Shikrin? You definitely don't need to talk about Yaskin. Forget about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a pun. Okay, why don't you say your pun, and then I'll give you the answer about Chikrin. Okay, Dimitri Yaskin, you shall not receive from his performances earlier. What a killer that Yaskin was scratched. For anyone who didn't realize, he was scratched on Saturday because there's not a lot. There's not a, a glut of Arizona Coyotes news out there, which is why we value guys like Craig Morgan the way we do. Uh, so I'm not sure I'd have noticed in time before puck drop that Yaskin was stra- scratched. It was a matinee against Buffalo. And uh, one of our pals on Twitter, Fantasy Hockey Tidbits, mentioned that Yaskin's first game, he actually he played well. If you're looking at expected goals, he, while he was on the ice, he and his line mates saw 77% of the expected goals share. So unclear what the reasoning was for Yaskin's scratch. And I haven't found any info on it anywhere. If you have, um, please share with me like there's definitely some odd coaching decisions early on from Andre Turini who we're still getting to know as a coach uh you know this isn't someone we can say oh yeah he's always weird like this or he scratches this kind of player new coach in the league so let's keep watching the decisions he's making and slowly try and make sense of them yeah well Patty is saying that Arizona is not trying to win that's her explanation for the <laughs> yes decisions. he was too good and they were playing Buffalo so they needed him to have a seat yeah uh by the way for Chikrin the thing is, like, he has nine shots, right? So if one of those shots had gone in, we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's the thing with a small sample size. So, yeah. you know, let's wait a couple more weeks and I'll, you know, start to get a little nervous if he still hasn't scored a goal. But, you know, it's kind of like Fiala last year. He also started the first few games taking like four or five shots in each game and not scoring. So people were worried about him. He ended up having a great second half of the season. Uh, I guess since we're on Arizona, and I know people are thinking, can you please stop talking about this non-fantasy relevant team? But I've got to mention the really strong game from Carol Vemalka, the, I guess, backup, but I think I'm ready to call him start unless they're not trying to win obviously like patty's saying but uh Vemelka had a great game versus buffalo stopped 32 of 33 in the shootout loss to buffalo this came after hutton was a disaster on thursday so in my opinion Vemelka will will quickly take over as the start of this season i don't i don't even really know anything about him i know we talked about him on the last show uh but i just know that carter hutton is terrible and so if they are trying to win which i guess is a question i think that they should play Vemelka anytime they want to have a chance to win because he seems much better so if you're in a league where goalies are hard to come by i wouldn't be surprised to see Vemelka start getting you know maybe like hutton gets the next game but then he's gonna get shelled again and then at, at some point i could see Vemelka just getting a string of games in a row unless of course uh they don't want to win in which case they should play carter hutton the door is open for Vemelka to earn a greater share of the starts for arizona let's see another game or two from him we for anyone by the way who is saying well he just played buffalo uh, he gave up no goals at five on five to Buffalo, which you might say is eh, but Buffalo had uh, a goal uh, 
one and a half expected goals at five on five. So it's not fair to just write off Vimalco's performance because it was against Buffalo. He played really, really well. Uh, and as we said last week, Vimalco doesn't have a high bar to clear to beat Carter Hutton. So uh, let's wait and see how Arizona, you know, deals their goalie starts and how they respond to good and or bad outings from each of their goalies. But we should be, especially in leagues where volume is valued, be low-key interested in Carl Vemelka, also someone maybe in deeper leagues in the desert he might want to be interested in. Uh, Lawson Kraus, I'll just shout him out. He's on the top power play through two games, has six shots, six hits, and one assist. So I wonder if he's like a Tom Wilson light option, a nice depth option in deep enough bangers leagues. Yeah, I mean, if he's getting the deployment, he'll get a goal every once in a while, you'd imagine. All right, so next up, number one Raptors fan slash Seahawks slash Canucks slash Jays fan. Oh, yeah, wait, I was supposed to be reading the handles. At Van Muyen, uh brought up Patrick Laine. He said uh, I he thought Laine would be better in a categories league. Uh, not sure that he's worth where he was taken. And yeah, so I guess specifically he's talking about the fact that Laine has no hits in the two games because you can't really complain about two assists versus Arizona and then a goal in the 2-1 win over Seattle on Saturday yeah, Line a had no shots in the first game, but he had three shots on Saturday. So yeah, I mean, I'm just going to nip this in the bud right here. Like, I think Line is on the cusp of having a great season. Like, I don't know how high you drafted him, Van Muyen. I guess there is a point where maybe you're regretting taking that swing. But I think in general, you're not going to be disappointed. Yeah, maybe like Brian said about Ovechkin, maybe Line is going to try not to hit and just focus on the goal scoring, especially after last year. I think that's probably the smart move. Just try to get that offense back. Uh, so yeah, I'm happy to see him producing. And I don't, I don't really know about the hits, but really, you should try to get your hits from from Lawson Krauss and not from Patrick Laine if you need hits. For sure. And with a team like Columbus for Patrick Laine, maybe they don't want him hitting. Hitting can be kind of this defensively irresponsible choice unless you're, you know, forced to make a hit because the player's about to pass you. But with the way that Laine used to collect his shot totals, I think there might have been a lot of like stepping out of the system or structure to throw a hit. And that might have worked to his favor in some levels of hockey, but clearly has not worked to his favor so far in the NHL. Uh, but I'm not I'm not focused on Liney's hits, right? Like you said, let's just see the offense. Three shots in two games isn't awesome for Liney, but three points, three points is. I, I get how Liney is leaving managers in Cats leagues hanging a bit here, but I think we let, let's just be grateful for what we have from Patrick Liney. I'm happy we're seeing something. I don't care, really. I, I don't have Liney in any format, so maybe this is just me being too detached from having him on a roster, but I don't care if if I did have Liney, if it's a couple weeks of steady point production without much excitement or category filling. Let's see Liney get back on his feet and then hope he can get some small successes to build on and get some momentum to start becoming at least a, a portion of the player that we hope he can be. Yeah, and don't forget, like, he had no shots in the first game and three in the second game. So, yeah, you look at it and like, oh, only 1.5 shots per game. That's terrible. But, like, you could also look at it. That's the thing with these small sample sizes, right? You could be like, oh, he's been taking three shots per game since the last game. <laughs> so let's see how he does in the next few games and then decide if his shot rates are actually down or not. Uh, at Fantasy Tidbits brings up Tomas Tatar, who he says didn't inspire confidence. And, like, I don't know. I mean, he had an assist in the first game versus Chicago and took two shots. So that's not so bad. But I definitely get what you're saying because I had already lost confidence before that game when I saw that Tatar would be playing on the third 
third line and not on the top line with Jack Hughes. So I think I, I agree with you, even though the game wasn't so bad. But I just think with that deployment, Tatar's not going to have a huge fantasy impact. You want to be having the either Jack Hughes or the player with Jack Hughes because Brian, so far, uh, so good on our call of Jack Hughes' incoming breakout season. Two goals on three shots versus Chicago. If people uh, still have a chance to get him for cheap, I don't know how, but like I really think this is for real. So I'm really excited to see what Hughes can do moving forward. Also, Dougie Hampton scored a goal in his first game. So yeah, New Jersey, just an exciting team. Bernier played well. Good for, it was against Chicago, who we'll get to in a sec, who have been struggling. So I guess you don't want to read too much into one game. I'm really excited to follow New Jersey this year. And yeah, Hughes is awesome. Tatar, well, we'll see. I don't know. Be meh. Yeah, two, two calls. Well, I'll speak personally. Like two calls I made coming into the season. You were with me, uh, like, or I was with you. I don't know who said it first, but we were together on Jack Hughes being great. And I was more alone on Tomas Tatar being like a great fit for New Jersey and New Jersey being a great fit for Tatar. And I was really excited and I drafted him in a couple leagues. And uh, when I made this tweet, I said, uh, like, you know, who have you given up on? There's someone I have given up on that I'll share on the show. Tomas Tatar is my biggest disappointment so far. I was really high on him. And now Tatar, third line, second power play. This is the kind of guy, I want you to know I'm evolving as a fantasy manager. Tatar is the kind of guy that past Brian would be holding on to saying, well, I think he he should get out of that deployment. He deserves to be in the top six and on the top power play unit, but I, I can't afford to be that patient with him. Shout out, by the way, to Brad, who, yeah, crushed me. And actually, uh, 445 other teams in the cup full. Brad had, I think, a top five score across the entire 450 team league this week. So way to go, Brad, in tier two, Ottawa. But yeah, I, I again, with Tatar, I still think he could do really well in the right situation. But I've thought that about plenty of guys in the past who've never actually found like found themselves in that right situation. I'm not going to wait on Tatar or his coaching staff when he's not in a lineup spot to succeed. So I think you can, uh, it hurts. It hurts because I had high hopes for him, but I have already waved goodbye to Tomas Tatar a lot sooner than I thought I would. Yeah, and obviously now he becomes someone potentially in your free agency that you might want to stream in for a good game and you're going to want to watch game day lines. And if he gets back on the top line with Hughes, then you reassess. But right now, Sharon Govich and Kwokinen seem to be good with Jack Hughes. So I imagine that'll stick for a little bit. Also, a shout out to Dawson Mercer, picked up a point in his first game. But okay, let's go now to Taryn D's tweet, who he brought up both Sam Reinhardt and Trevor Zegras. So let's talk about both of those guys. But let's start in Florida with Reinhardt. Pointless in two games. Normally, I wouldn't be concerned. Like he had six shots in those two games. And for the most part, he's been on the top line and top power play. But I say for the most part, because there is one reason to actually be a little bit concerned, because there's a tweet from David Dwork that I saw in the middle of the game saying Anthony Duclair has taken Sam Reinhardt's spot on the top line, at least to start the period. That was the second period. Reinhardt is on the bench sitting between Thornton and Lomberg. So like, this is also a Florida team that's like done really well in their first couple of games. Like it, the, Florida won 5-1 in that game against the Isles, where apparently Reinhardt got bumped down the lineup for a little bit and Duclair was on the top line. By the way, Duclair scored a goal from his spot on that top line, and that's a spot that Duclair was very successful at last year until he got bumped but while Duclair was on the top line with Barkov and Verhage he was great so maybe they decided and we'll have to see what happens going forward but Sam Reinhardt maybe isn't as good a fit as Duclair according to the coaching staff so yeah I, obviously I'm not going to tell people to super panic on Reinhardt but not great to see and I'll just throw it out there that I was saying uh, or at least to myself and I think I said it on a podcast how I felt like people were really excited about Reinhardt and not as excited about Verhage and I just kind of felt like yeah Verhage seems like just a much 
much more solid bet since we've seen him just stick with Barkov through thick and thin and be really successful. So I'm pretty happy that I have Verhage in both of the leagues that I drafted this year and that someone else took Reinhardt. And again, this is two games and Reinhardt took decent shots and I think he'll be fine. But, you know, if he gets bumped, potentially he could get bumped from that top line and still go to the second line, right? And bump like Owen Tippett then down to the third line. So obviously we'll have to see what Quenville decides to do. But obviously you're a little concerned when your player that you reached high on in a draft is already potentially losing their top line spots. You'll have to be watching game day lines. And I'm not really sure what more we can say about it until we see how these lines shake out. You keep mentioning game day lines, and I just want to shout out that's at game day lines on Twitter. We also have at game day news NHL with a lot of fantasy relevant news being tweeted nonstop through the day. If I, I'm actually like away from my computer for several hours a day, and whenever I do have a minute, I go straight to those Twitter accounts and at game day goalies, which is a new one that you started, Elon, where, uh, you know, we weren't getting Like, it's dedicated to just announcing goalie starts. Like, there's no commentary. It's if you just, like, you could subscribe to notifications on that account. And thanks very much to uh, one of our listeners and patrons, Shams, who is a huge, huge MVP on all three Twitter accounts. But the question was about Sam Reinhart, who, like, I get what you're saying about him and Carter Verhege. It seemed like draft day hype was a lot higher for Reinhardt, where it's like, hey, don't don't forget, Carter Verhege is right there, has already been there a full season, fits well, and seems to be more entrenched on that top line. And we've already seen that bear out. And we, I think we also did mention heading into the season um, that Reinhardt could get bumped on from the top line. Uh, I barely believed it myself, but the thought was that if Joel Quenville doesn't like what he's seeing from Sam Reinhardt on the top line or something else on another line, Quenville has something tried and true to easily fall back on, and that's Anthony Duclair up there with Barkov and Verhage. So the big question that you already touched on, Elon, is if Sam Reinhardt isn't on the top line in Florida, then where is he? Because Florida's top lines are, are so loaded. I don't know. Like, they're not going to want to spread minutes to a top nine situation. So maybe he does bump Tippett on the second line. But then you look at the third line. You've got Hornqvist, Lindell, and, and uh, Vitrano. Like, I don't even know if there's room for Tippett or Reinhardt there. This team is so stacked. So we'll stay tuned to what the Panthers are doing with their lines. Uh, I've got my finger hovering on the add button for Duclair. I think that's the actionable advice here. And yeah, I'm just going to watch at game day lines on Twitter to see what things look like at the next practice for the Panthers. If Duclair is there on the top line, I'm adding him. And if Reinhardt isn't there and I have him on my roster, I'm I'm not dropping him, but I'm officially worried. Yeah, that's definitely fair. And yeah, when you think about the second line of being like, well, maybe Reinhardt could just jump in there. Maybe Sam Bennett will be like, wait, hold your horses. Let's keep this line how it is because he's doing great there. Right? He had a nice little hat trick and six shots versus the Islanders. Anyone who drafted Sam Bennett is laughing right now. So I feel like, you know, Tippett hasn't been getting in on so many points, but obviously that second line is working. So yeah, Panthers, a good situation to be in, having too many good players to fit into reasonable spots. Though on the other side, uh, Gary tweeted at us with Patrick Hornfist, with someone he's given up on. Uh, he said Dom's had him high after last season but uh yeah right now he's been playing in the bottom six and on the second power play he only has four shots in the two games and no points uh gary dropped him I've, he was dropped in tier one of the cupful after being so amazing last year and i think yeah i think florida being so awesome means that patrick hornfist is not going to be as good as last year maybe not even close so yeah i kind of agree with gary that you could probably let him go 
for Hornquist, he's one of those guys. Yeah, I was using Dom's sheet too. And while I edited guys like Verhege and Jack Hughes, and I'm trying to think of another, Alex Radulov, in my own personal version of Dom's sheet to bump them up my list, Hornquist was a guy who I edited to bump down because the sheet, as Dom would, would acknowledge, didn't account for this likely change in deployment that has borne out for Patrick Hornquist, who's gone from top power play second line to second power play third line. Hornquist didn't even get to play 10 minutes on opening night. He did see 13 minutes the next night, but that's not great consolation for a guy who has been seeing 15 and a half to 16 minutes for the last few years. So Patrick Hornquist is a snoozer. I don't think he belongs on anyone's roster right now, maybe on your watch list, but I'd have Duclair. I had Duclair ahead of him on my radar. And then for Sam Bennett, uh, what a great start for Sam Bennett. I just wonder how it feels to be a, a Calgary fan watching Sam Bennett actually be good after years of just watching him toil and never be set up for success and not sure whether to blame management or the player. And also imagine you're part of that management team that didn't put Sam Bennett in the right situation and you're watching this happen. Like, I'd be worried about my job if that was me. Um, Anyway, Sam Bennett was, oh yeah, he's one of the guys you had to edit up in Dom's sheet too. The draft game with Sam Bennett was trying to figure out how many rounds you could leave him alone before someone else snagged him. So congrats to those who won that game. Uh, You've been having a really great time. This first week, one of them, uh, one of the loudest, proudest Sam Bennett rosters is a uh, former Stat Attack host, John Newholt and tier one competitor. So congrats to him and anyone else who won the Sam Bennett draft game. Yeah. And lucky me, I get to play John next week in the Cacuffle and Calgary, I believe, plays four times. So, oh, wait, he's not on Calgary. OK, well, I have to look at Florida's schedule, but <laughs> I'm still not happy. I go from playing Connor McDavid to Sam Bennett, which might actually be pretty similar based on how this first week has gone. OK, so uh, that's a joke, by the way. Uh, then also back to that original tweet by Taryn, he brought up Trevor Zegras. And yeah, Zegras, uh, 13 minutes and a half, a little less than that versus Winnipeg. And then he played 14 and a half minutes versus Minnesota on the 2-1 loss on Saturday. No shots for Zegras. Uh, so yeah, kind of like some of these other players we've talked about. If you're not taking shots and you have no points, really hard to hold on to this player, right? So in one-year leagues, I'm definitely ready to drop him. But at the same time, he could be one of these players who's just getting his feet under him and we know how good he can be. So if he is dropped in your league, like it's kind of like double advice. Like if you have him, I'm okay to drop him, but also you have to be so quick to get him back. And if he is dropped in your league, uh, you know, be ready to grab him as soon as he gets going. Like maybe just like have him free agency. And then as soon as he gets his first point or takes, has a game with like two or three shots, that's when you jump because you don't want to miss the boat there. But yeah, not an exciting start for Zgras. So I guess it's getting eased into things. because He's not getting the big ice. Time. I thought he was going to be the sure shot, like top line, top power play center playing like 18 minutes a game. Obviously that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, you can put Trevor Zegras in that Lucas Raymond tier of drop him until you start seeing something happen and watch closely so that you're the first one to grab him if you see something happen. I wonder if one of the reasons Zegras isn't seeing much time, he's getting crushed at five on five. He's got a 36% shot attempt share while he's on the ice, which is very, very bad. You know, 50% is even. And then bad is 45%. Uh, 36% is just atrocious. So there's not much room for offense when you barely have the puck. And clearly there's still some kinks to work out in his games that he could take on top line, top power play minutes. These are growing pains for Trevor Zegras. And let's just be patient. Like you said, Elon, once he settles, I could see him being worth rostering. In the back of my head, I'm like, Anaheim has let us down so many times lately with players that I think should be worth rostering. But as I mentioned last week, I'm willing to give a fresh 
chance to Trevor Zegras. So uh, an unfortunate start for him, but keep a close eye. Yeah, again, I think I brought this up in another podcast. I, I really remember Johnny Gaudreau's first season where he wasn't getting much ice time. I think he got benched for a game for like the first handful of games, and then he took off and had an amazing rookie year. So still a possibility for Zegras, but not the start we expected. All right, let's do three goalies now. So Zach, who tweets at us a lot, at ZachLW, brought up Connor Hellebuck, and he wrote, Hella killed me my first week. Shocked the Jets have been so bad over two games. Why wasn't it an extended first week again? Ugh. So yeah, anyone who reached for Connor Hellebuck in their drafts, are uh, not happy with the results because he's had four goals against in each of his two games. Losses to Anaheim and San Jose, who are supposed to not be great teams, but both teams uh, took care of Hellebuck and the Jets, uh, I guess, somewhat handily. So now Hellebuck sits at an 849 save percentage on the season through the two games. That's absolutely terrible. Brian, like, obviously, he's Connor Hellebuck. He's a great goalie. He'll bounce back, like, a bit. Like, But, like, should we be concerned that maybe Winnipeg is, like, not as good? Like, why are they losing to Anaheim and San Jose? And do you think people made a mistake drafting Hellebuck so high? Or is this just the kind of thing where it's two games, don't worry about it, buy low if you can? So a couple things to remember. First, I mean, I don't know what your expectations for Winnipeg were at the start of the season. Mine weren't high. And Hellebuck shines when he's just being pummeled by shots against and being his team's savior. Uh, That's what we need from Hellebuck. And interestingly, Winnipeg has been pretty good defensively, apparently, uh, so far this season. Don't forget, they've also been without Mark Scheifele. So uh, keep in mind, we're not seeing a full form yet. Um, We could say that about anything we've done. Uh, One reason to not get totally down on Hellebuck is... uh, He's getting, he and the Jets are getting crushed on the power play. They've been shorthanded 10 times and have given up four goals for a 60% penalty kill success rate. If they sort that out, Hellebuck doesn't quite look as bad as his numbers suggest he's been. Assuming, of course, you know, I know what it costs you to draft Connor Hellebuck, and I'm sure you're bummed about that. But I, I think you want to hang your hat on that first part, that Winnipeg's defensive game is better. And this is like a lot of really poor shorthanded performance. And hopefully, overall, that'll end up at least bringing Connor Hellebuck back to the levels we can expect. It's it's very frustrating. I mean, we've had a lot of really big goalie letdowns, right? We've had Hellebuck. Uh, well, we've I'm had... going to get to them, so we'll uh, okay. we'll go take them in order. I don't, okay. don't want to spoil the surprise, but yeah, no. I mean, there's a reason why we've kind of advised, and we you know we sort of gave Vasilevsky a pass for this advice, but everyone else we've kind of said don't use a high pick on a goalie just because there's still so much randomness. And, you know, I drafted Tyson Barry, like I said, and yeah, he didn't get many points. He didn't cost me a week, though. Uh, Hellebuck cost Zach a win with a top pick. Like, he could have had maybe Ovechkin or Huberdeau. Like, who knows? I don't know who was available, but I'd imagine really amazing players. But he took Connor Hellebuck, who not only didn't help, but actively hurt. So that's the risk when you're reaching on a goalie. And again, like, Hellebuck, like you're saying, should be fine. And like, uh, especially now that you're saying a lot of these goals against were on the shorthanded situation. And that's something that you'd hope won't happen as often. Like, maybe they just won't take as many penalties, or maybe they'll just get better at that. But uh, yeah, not great. So that's a shame. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll get to some more goalies. Uh, but still on the Jets, Ryan brought up P- Pierre-Luc Dubois, who I'm actually a little surprised at uh, because he scored a goal and took four shots versus San Jose yesterday. And he's been on the top power play, which I wasn't expecting going into the season. So with Wheeler, Shifley, Dubois, Kyle Connor, Neil Pionk, that's been the top power play. Unit. Brian Shifley was back actually in the last game. He was suspended just for that first game. Uh, to be honest, I was like super low on Dubois going into the season. So I'm actually a little higher on him now than I was before. So it's kind of the opposite. Not saying I'm like goo gaga over Pierre-Luc Dubois, but I like the fact that he's on the top power play. I like the fact that he took four shots in the last game. So he's someone actually that if he was in free agency, I'd be now considering when maybe at the start of the season, I wasn't so excited. 
Agreed. I was expecting very little of Pierre-Luc Dubois. So, uh, you know, one shot in his first game had me down, but four shots in his second game plus top power play time, that has me up. And I'm not, like, I had really low expectations for Pierre-Luc Dubois. So, so low that it would be really hard for me disappointed in him. It's like, yeah, I'd like to give him another chance and we'll see if he makes the most of it. And so far, uh, he's at least in a holding pattern here where it's like, yeah, I think he still has a chance to be good. The upside doesn't seem to be huge and the downside seems to be massive. But I, I don't know. Nothing, nothing I've seen has made me much lower on him than I would have been at the start of the year. Yeah, exactly. I like last year we didn't even get on the top power play. Remember when Dubois got traded to the Jets originally? We assumed okay, it's all it was like Paul Stasner, whatever random person on the top power play. And we thought okay, for sure Dubois takes that spot. And of course, because they're the Jets, they didn't put him there. So now he's getting that shot, and so we'll see how he does. And obviously, he's playing even strength the Ehlers, so he's in a great spot. He's supposed to be a really good player. We saw him have a lot of success in Columbus a couple years ago. So yeah, let's see if this is the year that he can put it together. Uh, so Bobby G eighty four underscore tweeted it asked with another goalie that let him down and Ilya Sorokin. Man, people must have been so excited it's bad to be excited about an injury but obviously people who drafted Sorokin must have been a little bit jazzed that they knew that Sorokin was gonna get the first couple games with Varlamov out but those games did not go well he left five goals in each of his first two games against both Carolina and Florida so he has an 855 save percentage now gotta imagine Trotz is hoping that Varlamov will be back soon so that he can put in his tried and true starter uh so now if you have Sorokin like I think that probably the Islanders will go back to being close to 50-50. But right now, you've got to be a little concerned, and you know that Varlamov is going to get his games once he gets back. So if you have Sorokin in the couple, which I believe you do, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, are you holding him, or is it time to maybe cut bait? I have Sorokin and Varlamov in the cupful, so I'm happily holding Sorokin, or unhappily holding Sorokin. You said Trotz is really hoping for Varlamov to come back. I would say Trotz is really hoping for Sorokin to like steady the ship and be fine. Cause I think Trotz's preference is that they each play exactly 50% of the minutes available. And he probably wants Sorokin to be able to do his fair share. But so far that hasn't been the case. Ilya Sorokin, we mentioned Vitek Vanacek earlier in the show. Sorokin as being one of the best goalies compared to what's expected of them, given their workload this season. Ilya Sorokin on the other side of that, one of the worst five-on-five Delta Fenwick save percentage numbers so far this year. Really disheartening to, yeah, think that you had a good thing going. Oh my goodness, I have the Isles starter and it's just one guy? I'm golden. And it's been a real big letdown. I, I still think there's time to fi- to figure this out for Sorokin, but it does call back to last season when, you know, there were ups and downs for Ilya Sorokin uh, in his first season in the league. He had a 918 save percentage, 71.4 quality, quality start percentage. So by and large, it was really good. And there's reason for us to have a lot of faith in Sorokin to figure his game out. But it's a, it's a bummer of a start. And it calls back to, you know, a couple of his weaker months. For what it's worth, last season, Sorokin in his first Three appearances had just an 871 save percentage before rattling off a couple consecutive shutouts and then a really great season the rest of the way. So that's that's what I'm hanging my hat on and holding out for here. Yeah, I'll be honest, Brian. I teed it up. Obviously, I had to say what happened, but I would not be too concerned about Ilya Sorokin. I think anytime he gets a start, I'm excited for that start, and I think he'll do well. And it's just very surprising these first couple of games, but he's 
a really good goalie. He's in a good system. So I just wonder what happens when Varlamov comes back. But for now, yeah, I'm not too worried. So uh, I agree with you that obviously Trust would rather him just get better himself. Okay, one more goalie here from Prince, Marc-Andre Fleury. Oh, no, not a good start. I guess there was a reason why he didn't want to get traded by Vegas, right? He now goes to Chicago and he's had four goals against versus both Colorado and Pittsburgh. And in that Pittsburgh game, he was pulled after only 11 minutes and 25 seconds after letting in those four goals. Uh, Kevin Lankinen came in. He stopped 15 of 16 in relief. Lankinen had also gotten the game on Friday versus New Jersey, where he himself let in four goals in the 4-3 overtime loss. Let's call it three goals because we don't count those overtime goals against. But yeah, Brian, are we worried about Marc-Andre Fleury not being able to hold... Like, forget about being... Well, actually, the whole question is about Chicago, right? But there's like, Chicago, are they like actually bad? And that's just, you don't want a goalie on their team. Uh, If you do want a goalie on their team, is Fleury even going to be able to hold the starter job with Lankinen seeming like a decent other option? Uh, It's just a really tenuous situation. I'm very happy I didn't draft Marc-Andre Fleury in any league. Me too. Definitely worrisome what Marc-Andre Fleury has shown so far. And yes, we can cut him some slack that, hey, he's he's on a new team and the Chicago team around him is also trying some new looks and has some new faces, especially Seth Jones and his minus Duncan Keith. So there's a lot of there's a lot of difference on that Chicago team right now where everyone's trying to figure out exactly where the dust will settle. But even still... I'm still worried about Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, He's another year older. We know he's not going to be any better protected in Chicago than he was in Vegas. To his credit, Fleury's a competitor. He's going to want to be much better than he's been. But I think uh, he's in trouble of seeding a lot of starts to Kevin Lankinen more than anyone would have thought. Like if you were going into the season thinking Fleury is going to be a workhorse guaranteed to be sure shot number one, I wonder if this could quickly become a 1A, 1B situation because Flurry struggles with whatever is thrown at him in Chicago. Of course, it'll also depend on what Lankinen can do. And uh, we saw him start really strong last year before fading. Uh, we'll see what he can do on this new iteration. But this goaltending situation is one to watch, especially if Lankinen is available in your league. He could still be as good as he was at times last year. Great for volume and occasionally able to steal the win. Yeah, and uh, Chicago is just so weird because I thought, maybe stupidly, I thought, you know, Jonathan Taves is coming back. They got Seth Jones. I assumed this team would be, like, better than last year. Obviously, it's been a weak start so far. Christopher Olsen, or at Team Stoff, tweeted at us. Oh, that's a patron. Hey, Team Stoff. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Taves is his player that he wanted us to bring up as someone he wants to know if he should hold on to or not because he's pointless in the three games and only three shots on goal total. So, Brian, Jonathan Taves. So, maybe, like, two questions. First of all, is Chicago, like, not only not better but potentially worse and also Jonathan Taves do you hold this guy or or is he someone that you're starting to worry about potentially not being able to have a great season on this Chicago team like I, I'll just say like Taves was really good before he got hurt uh, so I don't know it's, it's surprising to see him only take those three shots and have no points in three games to me First off, uh, I just want to, like, this is no big deal. We get player names wrong all the time, but it's Team Stoof. And Team Stoof has had one of the top performances in the entire Cupful this week. So congrats to him. Uh, it really does burn when you see a player in the Cupful get zero fantasy points in a night. Because all you need to do is, like, block one shot or take one shot or throw one hit and you're on the board. But zeros across the board, super painful. And I think Jonathan Taves is also like 
getting back into the swing of things. We were we were encouraged by what we saw from him in preseason. I'm not going to be so discouraged about him early on. In shallower leagues, sure, you might be thinking of streaming or cycling him out, assuming that it wouldn't be too hard to get him back until Chicago figures their business out. But I think Chicago will figure their business out, and I think Jonathan Taze will figure his business out, and he's still going to be able to get on track for at least a 60-point season. How about Tyler Johnson? By the way, they gave a... You know, like he's he's up, he's down, he's all over the place and hasn't found a lot of success. So there's another name on Chicago to mention. And by the way, you said we'll get to the goalies. There's one goalie on my list that we haven't mentioned. Actually, two. Robin Lehner has had a rough start. Actually, Hellebuck, Lehner, and Vasilevsky have all struggled. And they were like the consensus top three goalies in fantasy this year. Lehner, 903 and 871. Save percentages in his first couple starts. Vasilevsky, 906, 769. And then he finally put up a good <laughs> a good game with a 970. Then Hellebuck with that 818 and 871. There's a lot of bad goalie performances going on. But this is also not that uncommon for the start of an NHL season. We always see more goals in the opening week or two while everyone's figuring things out and before things settle down and goalies get into a rhythm and settle in. So don't overreact to any of this goalie stuff, but I forgive you for overreacting if you did spend some draft capital getting Hellebuck, Vasilevsky, or Robin Liner. Yeah, I agree with you. That is something we all have to remind ourselves. The first week is always a little bit wonky. Hopefully next week, all the goals that we expect to be good will start settling in. Uh, uh, yeah, you brought you brought up Tyler Johnson. He once again got bumped from the top line. The last game, it was Kirby Doc playing with Kane and Debrinkins. Yeah, at this point, maybe Tyler Johnson will get back up there. Maybe not. But now I'm ready to say you can drop him for sure because he's not a sure shot on that top line. I wanted to give it at least one more game after that first game because that was just a disaster. But now at this point, who knows what will happen? Maybe he'll get hot. Obviously, keep him on your watch list, but not a sure hold for sure. Okay, I have one more guy I wanted to bring up that we didn't get tweeted at, but he was someone on my couple team that I dropped to stream in Connor Brown today, and I actually it was a great hit stream, right? I got three assists from him, but still wasn't enough to not lose by point three. I don't think I'm ever going to get over that. Uh, but Jaden Schwartz, Brian, not so great on Seattle. He's been on the top line, on the top power play. Seems like such a great spot for him, but through three games, he only has one assist and only two shots on goal in three games. Uh, I'm definitely not impressed by the lack of shots. Maybe he's the kind of guy I'd hold in a points-only league because, you know, he's in a good spot. You expect him to get that assist every now and then, but I dropped him in the couple. Obviously, someone I would put on my watch list, but I can't handle these non-shooters. I think we've already said that in this show. If you're in a multi-category league and you're just hoping for an assist every once in a while, that's just not going to cut, and I think Jared McCann is going to be the goal scorer on that line assuming he's still centering that line when Yanni Gord comes back uh don't forget like also Jaden Schwartz he only put up a 43 point pace last year and so yeah it's a weird season you don't want to read too much into it but at the same time come on like at some point Jaden Schwartz has to actually start building up some goodwill with fantasy managers before we say like no you got to hold on to this guy because he's on the top line so yeah I think that Jaden Schwartz is someone you could probably give up on especially if you're in a multi-category league Agreed with you, Elon. It's been a really disappointing start for Jaden Schwartz. Those two shots in three games, icky for sure. And yeah, I think McCann might be more of a trigger puller. I mean, Jaden Schwartz in the past has been uh, occasionally a two and a half shot per game guy. And I think at least I'm just pulling up his numbers here over at Frozen Pool, which is uh, such a or Frozen Tools slash Frozen Pool. Uh, and over his career, his shot per game rates, yeah, like have never really gone far beyond two and a half shots. Uh, but we should be able to count on him for two shots per game. But this has just been miserable. The the weird part for Jaden Schwartz is that he's seeing more even strength time than ever before. And his shot rates are cut in half 
Uh, he's also seeing more power play time than he has, or as much as any other time. So Jane Schwartz with all these extra minutes, not shooting. And it's not just like, oh, yeah, he's shooting and the pucks aren't getting on net. He's not shooting. Nothing's happening. Uh, so a really strange start to the year and uh, and Kraken career for Jaden Schwartz and someone to keep an eye on to see if the tide turns. And this is just a weird thing that the Kraken are trying and they're going to make some tactical adjustments that allow him to shoot a little bit more and get in on more offense. But yes, I would rank him as third of the three pieces on that top line and McCann, Eberle, and Schwartz right now. Yeah, and of course it's league-dependent, and I don't want to be advising people to read too much into those first few games, but if you have exciting free agents and you're trying to decide who to drop, maybe Schwartz could be one of those guys. But okay, Brian, with that, I think we've made it through the first week of the fantasy season, and now the first episode of Keeping Carlson. This has been so fun. I'm so excited to keep going, see more games, get more data, start you know not having to say small sample size all the time. You know, these are the steps. Like first preseason, we were saying, yeah, it's preseason, don't read into it. Now we're kind of like, well, small sample size, you don't want to read too, too much into it. At some point, we're going to get into the, you know, the heart of the season where we can start really reading into things. I hope people have had a really fun first week of fantasy. If you lost, like Brian and I, hey, it's week one out of like 20. It's not like last year where there are only like 14 matchups and then it's time for the playoffs. So you have lots of time to build yourself back up and have like an 18-in-1 season or whatever it is, depending on how your playoffs work. So good luck to everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. First of all, you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. And we'll take a compliment even. Thanks a lot, though. If you really want to help us out, you could go to like your Apple podcast and give us a five-star review, especially at the start of the year. And write some thing too like don't just hit the five star button but it'd be so so nice if you wrote a little note too to just say nice things yeah i mean and not only just for our egos like if you want to help support the show that's a really good way to just help other people come and i know you probably don't want to tell your league mates because then they'll have an advantage this is a way you can help us without the giving up your spot just writing an anonymous review over on apple Podcasts. if you want to like super super support the show you could always consider becoming a patron of keeping carlson and you know there's some podcasts that have a patreon where they're just like yeah support us because you're helping us put out shows that you hopefully enjoy and we're putting out like three shows a week for you but if that's not enough we're actually giving like as much as we possibly can to our patrons we've got a really fun community going over on discord uh you have to see it to believe we've got bots in there we have like channels that you can create to ask questions that then automatically disappear after a certain amount of time so everyone can ask their advice questions without things getting buried we're just having like these chats the game day chats general chat uh then the brian brought up how we're like talking about the underdogs stuff which is like we're having a blast in there and brian and i are there like giving you actionable advice for your fantasy leagues so you could just sign up and quit anytime right so if you want to just consider getting a little bit more into fantasy hockey more active consider becoming a patron of keeping carlson over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron but okay with that brian i am ready to get out from under this blanket and go back to my friends at this cottage so let's cue the outro music and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including our superest supporters thank you patty Rob, David, Derek, Kevin, Tom, Josh, and Christopher for being huge supporters of the show. If you want to hear your name read in the credits, it's available to you as one of our Patreon perks over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Also, huge thanks to Kevin Bear for all of his invaluable help with the Cupful and Discord server. Also to Jeremy Versillo and John Newhold, uh, community members and huge contributors to everything that goes on with our community and with the Cupful too. Thanks to Julian Paquette. If you hear our, our clips that we tweet out through the week, Julien is the guy who clips those for us, former host of Clipping Carlson. Uh, and thanks to all of our Cupful co-commissions too for helping this season run so smoothly so far. 
And once again, thanks to Shams for helping us run our three basically like fantasy foundational Twitter accounts. If you don't know where to look or what to look at a fantasy, follow at Game Day Lines, at Game Day News NHL, and at Game Day Goalies. And you'll be said, I wonder how well you could do in a league if those were the only three resources you consulted all year. I, I, I'd wager that you'd do all right. Uh, so thanks, Shams, for your help with that. Logo art by Tier 1 competitor, BrandonWeave.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. Great job as always, Brian. Uh, looking forward to doing a couple short shifts episodes this week, and then I'll see you next Sunday for our next mega episode to break down week two of the NHL season. Until then, please be doing all you can to let everyone feel that fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>